0: I ain't never done nothing to nobody, I ain't never got nothing from nobody, no time, until I get something from somebody, sometime, I ain't doing nothing for nobody. Every museum from now on will have performances. They just have to because history is made up of all these pictures and it's a wonderful way to rethink
1: them. This is Rose Lee Goldberg, art historian, author, but not least the founder of Performa. And Performa is two things. It's both the New York-based biennial for performance art, but it's also the name of the organization behind it. Rosalie's work with Performa has echoed around the world. Her commissions has led to groundbreaking works of performance art. And if you are visiting Copenhagen Contemporary, you can now experience a selection of these in the exhibition Performa Archive. You're listening to CC Audio. Encounters with selected works and artists showcased at Copenhagen Contemporary. Ahead of the opening of the exhibition, Rosalie gave a talk and spoke on her view on performance art, her idea of success, and which role she thinks performance art plays at museums today. In this episode, we'll take you back to a sunny evening in June to bring you some of the highlights from the talk.
0: Thank you, everybody, for coming out in this heat when you should be out at a beach somewhere. But um, I gave a talk in New York on the snowiest day of the year and I sort of walked in thinking, oh my God, nobody's going to be there. But we had standing rooms, so somebody said, yes, performer gets people out in the snow and now I can say in the sunshine as well. So pretend we're on the beach. Um, I'm going to start a little bit with the history because that's where I begin. Okay. Um, so the first book that I wrote in 1979, uh, same year I got married, both still doing strong, so it's okay. Um, and uh, what was it? Why did I have this idea to write a rewrite the history of 20th century art? Uh, for those art historians here, we all know that the 20th century was a multi or a multidisciplinary uh, century anyway. and I wanted to go much further. Back than that, well, I do go much further back than that. Since then, but really showing that artists have always made live performance. We can go back to Leonardo da Vinci in, in the uh, Renaissance and f- discover that actually, an artist's job description was pageants, uh, fireworks, uh, special dinners, and poetry reading. You know, uh, recitations for princes and their new wives, or for you know the new baby that arrived, and so on. So it has always been part of the. Um, as I say the job description of the royal artist within any of the royalty and courts of Europe from it, certainly in the 1500s and before then. Um, also 20th century, the times that we all look to that are really some of the most exciting moments in, in terms of art history, we're always looking at periods when people from a lot of different disciplines come together and do a lot of cross-pollination and talk and think in many many different disciplines. So this is the assumption here as we sit here on this beautiful afternoon that we're actually coming at this coming here gathered to here today um, as dancers filmmakers image makers writers um, historians, political analysts, uh, all kinds of different disciplines that we're trying to understand what is the now of our times? What is culture of our moments right now? And over the decades, of course, we see how vast that now is. Uh, you know, the last 20 years we're looking at globalism on a scale that nobody could even have dreamt of. Uh, we're looking at um, different kinds of cultures moving through different uh, communities and different uh, geographies and different ethical settings and so on. So we're constantly trying to examine that and that's what I also think artists do endlessly. Um, And always trying to infuse the world in which we live, the art that we ask you to look at, um, with a kind of humanism, with a deep sense of humanity, with a deep sense of ethics and the civic good which we realize is always under threat. So, um, one of the reasons, again, that I started performing in 2004, there were three reasons. One was I wanted this history finally to be understood, um, you know, and people would still say to me, oh, this performance is back, and I was like, never went away, you know, what do you mean it's back? And again, back to this idea of, it's always been there, it's always been present, performance, artists have always made live performance. Uh, the other reason was I was tired of people talking about the marketplace. Well, in 2004, the marketplace was this size. Now it's, it fills this whole room. Uh, so the marketplace was still something I was found was eating away at the ideas that artists deal with and that it's not always about money. So we did a whole series called Not for Sale. It remains not for sale. Um, and the third reason was really to stop time in some fashion, to actually allow you to get involved with an artwork and spend time with it. And in a sense, that's what we're asking you to do also with the archives, to spend time. um, Although I wish I were there for the next three months to explain to you how each piece came about so you get a, a better sense of that.
1: Since its beginning in 2004, Performa has shed new light on artists and art movements from the 20th and 21st century which has never quite been examined or understood. Through their work, they've given new life to art movements such as futurism and the Russian constructivism.
0: One of the things we've done, we did very early on in 19... as a celebration of 100 years of futurism, uh, in 2009, we actually rebuilt these 13 noise machines. And it's fascinating. They've been touring ever since, so it's 10 years of touring. Uh, they, really, they appeared all kinds of uh, festivals for new music... Um, or exhibitions to talk about the early avant-garde. So again, we feel very excited that something that we brought to life in this way continues to have a a current manifestation. And what we do with that always is not try to just like, okay, let's imagine what it was like then, let's repeat. But rather, how do we make it very 21st century? So we've had people like Sonic Youth, work with these machines. We've had pe- many different contemporary um, noisemakers, musicians, Lou Reed, um, Bargelt, a lot of different people. So again, you get the point that with, with every piece of history, we try to animate it so that the audience, as well as the young artists and people looking from at this work from many different disciplines gets a, a sense of what this work was then and what it still means for us now, why it was so radical then and how it remains radical now. Um, another point that's really important to me was commissioning new work for the 21st century. Um, I felt I was seeing so much and um, it still seemed to be looking, performance seemed to be looking back a lot to kind of 70s and people were still agonizing about the sort of political aspect of it, which it always has that part to it. But I was in the late 90s seeing a lot of stunningly beautiful projections. Again, some of you who may be teach art history or know your 90s. uh, You think of people like uh, Isaac Julian or Julian Waring or or, um, Steve Douglas and Stan Douglas or uh, Steve McQueen or Douglas Gordon, artists working in film. It also has to do with the expanded technology available at the time and this work was beautiful. It was beautiful for your eyes. I mean it's like just these dazzling big scale, large scale uh, projections of film. And I remember watching uh, Shirin Neshat's work in the late 90s at uh, the Venice Biennial, where there's two huge screens in a room almost this, this kind of size that you're in now. So one, the one side is this man singing his heart out, um, and the other side is this woman sort of wailing, uh, and it's all about sort of male-female in a, a Muslim society, in an Iranian society, And um, it just was riveting, it was like these two films, the sound, the song, the men and women, the politics, the East and West, all of this material in a way told told visually without words and yet absolutely riveting. And I came back to New York and I said, I was friends with Shirin and I said, would you ever consider doing a live performance? Because what if you just walked everybody off the walls, of the, you know, out, out of the film, onto the stage, imagine what that would be. I mean, and she said yes, and I was like, oh, now what do I do? You know, now I, that was the beginning of producing, and that was suddenly like, I have no idea. Now, you know, now we have to figure it out. Well, we figured it out, and the first piece, which I don't know how much is coming across on this, but uh, the point being, this is the first commission, and the point is that it, the commission came from sheer desire to see a new kind of performance, to see what would happen if we commissioned artists who'd never done performance before to make a performance. And for me still, somebody said to me the other day, what's your idea of success? And for me still that idea is I meet people who say, I saw that piece, I'll never forget it. And that's in a way what I look for. I want to produce things that are magical, that blow you away, and that you'll never forget. And if we fail, that's where we fail. If it hasn't moved you, if it hasn't really turned you into some, you know, that that one piece you might not see another one of the performer projects, but if that one piece does that, that's really what we want to leave you with. Um, And the other beauty here is again, another one of my favorite points to talk about, is it forces you to sit with an artist's work and to spend time. I know we've all been to exhibitions and you see a video and you think, yikes, I didn't think this was gonna be 25 minutes, I'll stay, you know, I'll I'll come back. We know you won't come back. Everybody's lying. You're not going to come back. Um, We try to create works. This is not about, oh, just walk in, walk out. This is about, it'll be an hour, and we think about that in the making of the piece, and there really is a beginning and a middle and an end, not in terms of content, but there's a pacing to the work. And there's this wonder, again, of being able to sit that close to an artist's ideas and be engulfed in them that I find so important, that you're not just walking in and walking out and going, okay, I saw that. I mean, we all do that so much. And I think the statistics about how long people spend in front of a painting is like 2.3 seconds or something. It's very, very small in terms of what we totally absorb.
1: The biennial performer lies at the heart of the organization, and it's the only one of its kind focusing on interdisciplinary life performances. Over the course of three weeks, you get to experience a wide range of unique performance works and take part in special events involving dance, film, music and architecture.
0: It took me a little while to figure out to do a biennial because I thought, you know, I'm not really just interested in being a producer, just raising money and producing. I'm too much of a historian, as you can see, an educator. I like to provide context to really explain this much larger story. So it took me a little while and... Again, I felt it was time for all these issues that I've reminded you of, the history, the new commissions, showing new work, supporting artists, getting involved with artists whose work I was just obsessed with, who I felt we all had so much to learn from. Um, These were all the reasons, and we were going to do a biennial no matter what. So the next month or so, um, I was looking at an artist's work called Jesper Joost, and he had never made anything live before. In fact, he'd only made a few videos at that point and nothing was more than about seven minutes. And I just saw this first video and I said, I'm commissioning this guy to do a performance for us. Everything about the production was so magical and so unexpected. Um, Bart O, who's the gentleman who's the only live figure in, in the whole performance. And he's singing his heart out. Again, the beauty of this material was that nobody had seen anything like this before. So, we did it in a large space, we constructed almost like a Punch and Judy show theater within the space. We wanted, I wouldn't let people sit because this is not theater, so we all had to sit actually little stools like this. You know, more like in a bar and you could have a drink and so on. So um, a lot of different things and this, you know, Jesper's work and the work we did together really took off and allowed me to start even talking about what's next. Um, What happened with Jesper, it was pretty amazing because he'd never done live before, he was terrified. Um, We set it up in such a way that it just was exactly what I dreamed of, something new, something we hadn't looked at before. Um, and it was a knockout, and it was literally, the next day it was like a star is born, it was front page of the New York Times, uh, the arts and leisure Leisure section, David Bowie came to see it, I mean, the the whole New York downtown scene was there, and uh, it really set us up for this is what I mean by creating a new organization, this is what I want, I want to produce works of wonder with artists, uh, take the time to work with them, create material that you just haven't seen before. And that's always the risk we take. You know, performers, 100% risk and 100% trust for the artists and for us. Because when we start those commissions, we have no idea what they're gonna do. I don't think Jesper had any idea what he was gonna do for a long time. Um, We had no idea, we had to just keep playing through, but we all both trusted each other that we would deliver. And somehow we've, you know, almost 15 years later, we keep that that's the motto that, in a way, gives us courage. People say, "What do you think this is going to be?" I say, "Don't worry, it's we're going to be okay." And um, there's an ad- a sense of adventure that everybody has. I think artists at the moment are actually probably overwhelmed and exhausted by all the biennial and art, you know, art fairs and the kind of um, way that art is out there in the world and what they are expected to do. And somehow, with performer, to be able to have a year or two to think through a piece, to have a team to work with, um, and to go into this, you know, into the void, to just leap off into a very creative place. I literally have people saying it's been the most amazing experience for them, and, and artists talk about how that changed. And indeed somebody like yes, we're just talking about a homeboy, um, has continued to do performance. It's really something that totally turned his life around as a visual artist. and. Um, he's endlessly working in in a kind of performance mode or whether it's with film or installations and so on. So I think it's shown museums that, it, that there's another way to go and I think it's really had the impact that Every museum from now on will have performances. They just have to because that's part of the. It brings so much energy to the organization. It's a wonderful way to learn. You you can kind of look at a 15th century painting and see somebody playing a lute in front of a painting. It, it allows for a lot of imagination. Again, ways to enter this cultural world that we that we that history is made up of all these pictures, and it's a wonderful way to rethink them. So museums all have performance now. Not just the contemporary museum, but the encyclopedic museum, the classical museums, will always have performance programs. And that has changed. And I think Performa has had a huge part of that because there's suddenly this history that we can refer to and recognize that it's not just about the education department, but it's an expanded way to think about art and culture to go live with those ideas you're in there with the work, but it's doing, it's not thinking, I'm, I'm not a collaborator with the artist, but one's certainly taking the artist down roads that um, they wouldn't have gone there on their own. And they, they're they very excited to be part of that story. And it's not even dramaturgy, it's, it's a, another level of knowledge that we're trying to both portray. Um, and then, you know, really pushing towards, like, what is your most extraordinary dream that we can help realize. Thank you, everybody.
1: You've been listening to CC Audio, created and produced by Copenhagen Contemporary in collaboration with me, Astrid Help. The music was made by Jared C. Ballack and Chris Silver-T. And in this episode, you also heard excerpts of works by artists such as William Kentridge, Sanford Biggers, Kima and Wally Hollera, Shirin Ishat, and Jesper Just. Thank you for listening.